What does the term secularism refer to? While Google search I explored that the term secularism primarily refers to the policy of separation of religion and state. It prescribed that the state-slash-government shouldn't interfere in religious affairs. In other words, religion is none of the government's business. But that's not a case in India and its political circle. Here, the state cares and interferes a lot in religious affairs, which leads to appeasement of certain community and class. Initially, the term secularism was not included in the Indian constitution. Though Nehru and Ambedkar were the torchbearers of secular India, they turned down the proposal of supplementing the term secularism. Defending secularism, Ambedkar said that what should be the policy of the state, how the society should be organized in its social and economic side are matters which must be decided by the people themselves according to time and circumstances. It cannot be laid down in the constitution itself, because that is destroying democracy altogether. Though Nehru was against the inclusion of word secular, Indira Gandhi was firm to include secular word in the preamble of the constitution. She introduced 42nd Amendment, also known as mini-constitution, during emergency which changed parts of Indian constitution. Thereafter, the description of India in the preamble was changed from sovereign, democratic republic to a sovereign, socialist, secular, democratic republic. While our constitution states and observe that India is a secular state but the fact of the matter is that there are many examples that contradict the fact of India being secular. For example, Article 30, which gives right to religious minority to run and control their own educational and religious institution and affairs while denying the same rights to Hindus. Temple property and money becomes a public asset but of properties are reserved for Muslims. Is this what we call a secular state? I presume it's not. But in India every secular act or belief is connected with religion. Politicians wearing Muslim skullcap or organizing iftar parties during Eid were considered secular. Hosting of iftar party at Rashtrapati Bhawan became a normal custom during the tenure of Pratibha Patil and Pranab Mukherjee. When Ramnath Kovan became the president of our country he discontinued the custom of holding iftar at his residence. A lot of people criticized the decision of our current president alleging that he was denning the secular face of largest democracy. Interestingly, APJ Abdul Kalam, who was proud Muslim, during his tenure of president banned the celebration of iftar at Rashtrapati Bhawan stating that the post of president is constitutional and principles of a secular state applies to all festivities, whether Eid, Christmas or Diwali. President Kovan followed the footsteps of Kalam, who was the real face of secular India. There were instances where true secularism was showcased but many incidents of fake secularism and minority appeasement has not gone well for the nation. Former President Pranab Mukherjee and political leaders at the Iftar party in Rashtrapati Bhawan. Shabano case, when Rajiv Gandhi surrendered to Muslims. Many of you might know about the famous Shabano case. A 62-year-old lady was given a talak by her husband, she was ordered to move to a separate residence after her husband's second marriage. Bono married with Muhammad Ahmed Khan in 1932 after which they had five children two sons and three daughters. Oppressed by her husband Shah Bono decided to take the battle to high court. She filed a petition in court demanding maintenance from her divorced husband. A year later the HC of Madhya Pradesh gave order in favor of Bono, ordering Ahmed Khan to give his ex-wife a maintenance every month. Ahmed Khan dissatisfied with the judgment of high court went to the apex court, Supreme Court. After three years of hearing, the Supreme Court uphold the order of High Court and stated Khan to provide a maintenance to Bono every month without any delay. The verdict was boost for Muslim women who were facing atrocities from their husbands. 
Muslim clerics and scholars castigated and deplored the judgment of Supreme Court, upholding their Muslim personal law as supreme. The clerics and extremist approach to Rajiv Gandhi, who had taken over as Prime Minister after Indira Gandhi's assassination. The Muslim hardliners lambasted Rajiv Gandhi and dictated him to pass a law in Parliament that could nullify the order of Supreme Court. Rajiv Gandhi was under immense pressure as he surrendered to extremists by enacting a law the Muslim women, Protection on Right to Divorce, Act in Parliament which diluted the right of Muslim women to get maintenance. Arif Muhammad Khan, currently the governor of Kerala, resigned from Congress as he was against the enactment of this law. Arif alleged that apart from Muslim clerics, Congress leaders like Najma Heptala and Ziaur Rahman Ansari bulldozed Rajiv Gandhi to enact the law. Though clerics were relieved, it was now right-wing parties like Vishwa Hindu Parishad, BHP, and BJP who started a fierce drive to build a Ram temple at a disputed site in Ayodhya. Rajiv Gandhi government was befuddled and was in no mood to upset the Hindu community. Lok Sabha election of 1989 were nearing and government could sense a dissatisfaction in Hindu community. To appease them, Rajiv government opened the locks of Ram temple and allowed Vishwa Hindu Parishad to lay the foundation stone. This was another blunder by the Congress party as they lost the general elections of 1989. Janda Dal and BJP saw a rapid increase in seats and vote share as they formed the government which lasted for a couple of years. Sharad Pawar Kak and Bull Story in 1993 Bombay Blast Sharad Pawar, currently the NCP chief was the chief minister of state of Maharashtra during the 1993 Bombay bomb blast. On 12 March 1993, the financial capital was disconcerted by a series of 12 bomb blasts. Well-planned and coordinated blasts created a situation of mayhem and commotion among people in the city. According to reports, multiple explosions killed over 300 and injured more than 1,500 people. As Bombay was facing mayhem, the then-CM of Maharashtra rushed to Doordarshan office and announced that there were 13 blasts in total. The location where blasts occurred were Shivsina Bawan, Saveri Bazaar, Bombay Stock Exchange, Corporation Bank Branch, Air India Building, Mahim Causeway, Century Bazaar, Hotel Sea Rock, Plaza Cinema, Juhu Centaur Hotel, Sahar Airport, and Airport Centaur Hotel. Sharad Pawar stated that there was an explosion in Masjid Bandar as well which was a blatant lie. So why did Sharad Pawar lie about the 13th blast in Masjid? The falsehood was disclosed by Sharad Pawar himself while he gave an interview to a news agency. According to Pawar, all the blasts had taken place in Hindu-majority areas so he fabricated about the 13th blast in Masjid Bandar. As per his conjecture there could have been a Hindu-Muslim riots in the city, in order to prevent it he blatantly misled the people of the country by fabrication of false story of blast in Masjid. The state government also pined the responsibility of attacks on LTTE which was a significant force in Sri Lanka and South India. Pawar asserted that his cock and bull story saved many lives, especially Muslims who could have been the target of Hindus. While Pawar took pride on his fabricated story, many said that it was nothing but minority appeasement. By playing the balancing act between the communities, Pawar wanted to be in power. But in 1995 assembly elections, Pawar was thrown out of power and it was the BJP Shiv Sena alliance who came to power in the state. When Sharad Pawar claimed that he made up a story for avoiding Hindu-Muslim riots. When Sonia wept for victims of Batla House. You all might have seen John Abraham's movie on Batla House Encounter. The famous encounter took place on September 13, 2008 at L18 Batla House in Delhi's Jamia Nagar. 
Six days before the encounter, the national capital was rocked by the series of blasts. Five bombs had exploded at Connaught Place, India Gate, Greater Kailash and Karl Bog. The attacks killed about 30 people and injured a dozen of people. The Indian Mujahideen took the responsibility of the serial blast in the capital. The special cell of Delhi police investigated the whole scenario. Six days later they received information about the suspects in one of the flats in Jamia Nagar. The police conducted the raid at the site, they were welcomed with a series of bullet fires. In the encounter one inspector succumbed to his injuries and one constable was severely hurt. Out of the five terrorists, two lost their lives, another two escaped from the site and one surrendered to the police. The incident gained traction in the political circuit. While the BJP praised the work of the Delhi police the Congress was silent and a mere spectator while being in power. After the encounter, several teachers of Jamia Millia Islamia University organized protest against the Delhi police, supporting and claiming the terrorists as students of the college. The Human Rights Commission also conducted the inquiry in this matter and gave a clean chit to Delhi police. Four years after the incident, Salman Khurshid who was the then law minister initiated a controversy. Khurshid while campaigning for the party in Azamgarh claimed that Sonia cried and wept tears for the terrorist after seeing the pictures of the encounter site. His statement was seen by many as in bid to woo the Muslim community in the state. Khurshid's statement created wrangle between the political parties, the BJP tried to capitalize by asking tough questions from the Congress. The Samajwadi Party and BSP were tongue-tied as they never wanted to weaken their Muslim vote bank. Salman Khurshid blunder at political rally in Azamgar. Propagation of Hindu terror by Congress. The word Hindu terror or saffron terror was propagated by the Congress party under the regime of Manmohan Singh. Many Congress leaders like Digvijay Singh, Sushil Kumar Shinda blasted and defamed Hindu groups including the RSS when they were in power. A famous incident that you might recall is Digvijay's remarks on 26-11 terror attacks. Digvijay said that hours before Mumbai terror attacks Hemant Karkar, who was the Maharashtra's ATS chief, called him and said that his life was in danger and he feared for his safety from Hindu extremists. Few hours later Karkar was martyred in Mumbai attacks. So why did Digvijay allege that Hindu organizations were against Karkar? Actually, Karkar was probing the Malaygaon blast which took place in Nashik on September 8, 2008. Pragyatakur, Ramesh Upadhyay and many other members of Hindu groups were accused and arrested, though later they were released by court on the basis of lack of evidence. This was the basis on which Digvijay claimed that Karkar was killed by extremist Hindu group. Digvijay's theory originated the so-called Hindu or Saffron terror, which in reality was nothing but hallucination. But Karkar's wife rubbished and slammed Digvijay remarks of Hindu terror. Kavita Karkar accused Digvijay of playing vote bank politics and minority appeasement and denied any conversation between her husband and Digvijay. She added that it was wrong to state that Hindu groups were involved in Mumbai terror attacks. All knew that the terrorists came from Pakistan, these statements by leaders benefit Pakistan. Why did Digvijay targeted Hindus when all knew that the terrorist was sent by our western neighbor Pakistan? We all say and assume that terrorist and terrorism has no religion but Digvijay Singh and many leaders of Congress tried to vilify Hindu religion just for his vote bank. By spreading hate for Hindu religion the leaders wanted to appease certain section of the society. Political parties have always mollified minorities and castigated the majority community, assuming that the majority will always be with them. Read the book, The Myth of Hindu Terror, 
Insider Account of Ministry of Home Affairs 2006-2010 to know more about falsehood that had been originated by leaders.